Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. And it's Sunday night, so that means it's time for another episode of Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Wall. With me is uh, co-host Rev Taylor. How you doing, man? I'm not, not too bad. Not too bad. How are you? Uh, pretty good, man. Wanted on the weekend, so, you know, it's time time for a podcast and for a, a choice end cap to the a beverage to end the weekend to get reset, ready for Monday. Uh, today, I'm... I don't know. I feel like I'm fanboying about this brewery on the podcast lately, but I got a God of Reason um, Imperial Stout from Holy Mountain. It's a, Ooh. it's not barrel aged, um, so that's kind of what intrigued me about it. Like a lot of times, um, you know, every stout these days seem to be stuck in a bourbon barrel for like ten months, and it's like I like that, but just sometimes I want something that tastes more like beer than whiskey, even though I love whiskey. Um, so it's 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 strong, but it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, I like the art with the kind of eye and a dark field kind of thing. That's cool. Yeah, Holy Mountain does really cool, simple artwork. Yeah. What about you, man? You got a beverage of choice tonight? Uh, just some Irish whiskey. Okay, um, hey, man. Nothing, yep. nothing wrong with that. Yep, nothing just, some, wrong with that. just some Jameson. Ideally, I like to, you know, find smaller distilleries and stuff, but I was at a, one of these discount grocery stores that only had a few things. and That's, that's all right. So, yeah, I guess um, as is tradition on this podcast so far, you know, first week we talked about old Kentucky Fried John Schaefer, the Colonel, heavy metal <laughs> Colonel Sanders himself, and making an ass of himself. And the saga continued this week, and it started with Century Media taking both his bands, Eisterth and Demons and Wizards, off their label page. So their artist page, I should say. So that was uh, kind of the next thing that we predicted would happen. Um, you know, we kind of predicted that his musical career was going to be screwed. But the thing we didn't anticipate or predict is that today they extradited him from Indiana to D.C. So he is going to have to stand trial in Washington, D.C., not in his home state. And he's going to be remaining in jail the whole time. There's no bail. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I guess they suspect him of being part of the group that organized it, which is possible. Um I mean, but, if you're a white dude and they, they give you no bail, you know you did something serious. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens with him, but he could be in a lot of trouble. So, you know, it's just keeps getting more ridiculous and kind of funny as it goes on. You know, I mean, the whole situation is not funny. Obviously, people die and stuff, and it's pretty serious. But in the end, John Schaefer's involvement, to me, is kind of hilarious. So, <laughs> Yeah, but what, what if it – what if it turns out this was like, you know, he's the mastermind. Well, what if it does and like his, what if his, like one of his, some of his concept albums earlier were like him saying that he was going to do this. Like we'll find out that <laughs> some of those stupid songs, like, you know, that he wrote back in the day or were foreshadowing for this big event. And this was going to be like his swan song. Who Maybe knows? John Schaefer is Q. Maybe John Schaefer is Q. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> okay. So that's, you know, the obligatory post on that guy um yeah, uh, so why don't we get into our deep dive of the week uh rev you want to oh, introduce this album yeah before we do though I, I i remember telling you about the uh the the song title and chorus of the week from the latest striper album oh god even yeah, the we, devil believes that they, uh, they, for... <laughs> they put a track on there called let him in which 
I mean, that's not unusual, right? So I, I was like, all right, I was, I was checking out the album because we'd been talking about, you know, Christianity and metal and everything on the last post. And so I was checking out the latest Striper and it, it's, the titles let him in, but the chorus is let him in side of you. Yes, which... (laughs) (laughs) I kind of have to wonder with Striper, like, I know that they've gotten a lot of mileage and probably some amount of record sales from people who kind of enjoy their music, ironically, on some level. Sure. (laughs) With the hell with the devil and everything. And I kind of wonder if if there's like a little bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink with this kind of thing. Maybe. Or whether it's as kind of dead serious as it seems. Or whether they're just... Oh, oh, sure. I mean, I, I'm sure they're serious with their message. My, what I wonder is if they're oblivious to the double entendre that they <laughs> threw out there. With if you're oblivious out there, like it kind of like the connotation is that Jesus is fucking you. <laughs> you know, like not in like the yeah. proverbial sense, but like in the literal sense. Like there's a serious <laughs> double entendre in this song. Well, and I mean, I just a- wonder how no one said, "Wait, guys, you can't do this." Like. I think when you're in a religious community, you don't always know what it looks like from the outside. And so for for some of us who, who have been exposed to a lot of Christian stuff, but aren't necessarily Christian, it's kind of like, man, this whole thing seems really sexual, especially where like <laughs> the church is like the body of Christ. And it's oh, always like the church is yeah, kind of given true. the female gender. And there's a lot of like, yeah, feel him inside you kind of talk. And, yeah. and I think it's, you know, if you're in that, that, system and, and and you kind of are familiar with that that it's not going to seem that way for those of us <laughs> who aren't as used to it it's like <laughs> don't you see anyway i i, I just you, thought that was a funny you, you, dude i was losing my shit when you sent me that you were like <laughs> just listen to the chorus and i'm like they, they, they start and i'm like they i was like they did not do that <laughs> well they did so what's the name of that song again uh let him in let him in so striper let him in check it out and yeah. you know hey let him inside you, but only if you consent. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I guess we'll get... <laughs> you guys, I forgot about that. You caught me off guard a little. But uh, <laughs> I guess we'll roll into the album of the week. Um, we have chosen the band Adamantis um, to review their latest album. Um, this is a power metal band. Uh, they've been going since like two, 2016. They're based in Massachusetts. Um, they just got signed to Cruisedale Sewer Records, which is an awesome label, you know, a lot, a lot of my favorite bands and my favorite releases come off Cruise Del Sur. Um, they put on an EP in 2018 and uh, this is their uh, debut full length, uh, Far Flung Realm. So this is a pretty new band. Um, they've been basically going as long as we have pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of started up in 2018 as a full group and we did an EP and then we did a record. So they're kind of the, like, uh... they're copying us. <laughs> That first EP, they had a different singer, though. Yes, correct. Um, yeah. They actually got a, a guy from Washington who uh, I played a couple gigs with out here, uh, Jeff Stark. He was in a band called Convergence. Hmm. And um, I think when I was in Skeletor, we played with them at El Corazon. I can't recall who we were opening for. Um, it might have been Satan. Um no, it wasn't Satan. I was at that show. It wasn't. It wasn't that. No, one. it wasn't Satan. It was somebody else. Um, I, can, I can't honestly recall who it was. It might even. No, I don't think. Maybe it was Hammerfall. Maybe. Anyway, it's not important. Um, but yeah, he's singing in Adamantus now. And um, what did you think of the record, man? Well, um, I've got I've got a lot to say. I guess on a um, on a more macro zoom level, it's a really nice sounding record. It sounds very professional. Um, 
there's a lot of of competence in the playing uh melodies are satisfying um you know it's kind of cool to get in on the ground floor with a power metal band Mm -hmm. because you know if you come to a power metal band too late sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming all the back catalog especially like if you're dealing with one of these multi-album narrative sagas you know and sometimes you're like if it's halloween or something there's like all these different singers to sort through and uh but it's kind of cool with a band like this uh that has that really kind of right down the middle classic power metal sound to hear their first record and kind of be here as it's taking shape uh and i'm i'm definitely going to be watching their career with interest yeah um i I definitely kind of had a similar opinion i really enjoyed the record a lot um I thought for a debut, um, it's especially strong for a band that like recorded it on their own. It's especially strong. Um, Mm -hmm. Upon first listen, um, I was like, you know, this, oh, it's a power metal band. Um, The more I listened to it, the more stuff I heard. Um, The main things, of course, that I hear are, you know, Blind Guardian. This band loves Blind Guardian, uh, especially early Blind Guardian. They definitely love that band. And early Halloween, like Walls of Jericho Mm -hmm. era Halloween. But I also heard like uh, some Twisted Tower Dire. I don't know if you're familiar with that band, mm-hmm. but I heard a lot of that in the music. I heard a lot of a band called Labyrinth. Um, and then like there's interesting um, elements that I started to pick up. Like I started to pick up some dream theater type rhythms, um, especially with what the rhythm section was doing. Um, and there's even like some gothic kind of vocal passages um, bands like Amorphous, um, Sentenced, and Paradise Lost, and some of those like European um, gothic yeah, metal bands. Like, especially towards the, towards the end of the album, I think there was a little bit of a, of a symphonic slash folk metal kind of yep, there's uh, a, stuff there's, they were toying with there. Yep, absolutely. It, it kind of takes that twist. Um, so yeah, like I, at the surface level, I was kind of like, my first listen, I was like, oh, this is a pure power metal album. But the more I listened to it and actually got it in my headphones and you know, got to dive into it a little more. I started hearing a whole hell of a lot more. Um, and the thing I like is, you know, it's not a completely original sounding record, but, you know, we're a classic metal podcast. It's not like we give a shit about reviewing, like, super original sounding um, <laughs> right. bands. Like, that's not what we do. Um, but you can't really say that Adamantus sounds like X-Band. It's not you can't. And a lot of, like, new bands that... Um, come down the pike in the classic metal scene or the traditional heavy metal scene, you go, oh, it sounds like Angel Witch. It sounds like Witchfinder General. It sounds like this. This one, you could say it sounds like these things, but there's not one specific thing that you can see it sounds like. And I thought was cool. Um, much like you said, I found the strength of the band being the rhythm guitar. Um, a lot of the harmonies were really satisfying. A lot of the guitar melodies were, was really satisfying. My favorite member of this band is the drummer. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is the I the think drummer he's... is a bad motherfucker. He reminds me of the Blind Guardian drummer a lot. Like, especially like the old Blind Guardian albums where they had a lot of double bass and it was pretty relentless. It reminds me of him a lot, but he can also do more proggy stuff. Um, so I thought he's the star. I think he's the star of the show here for me. I would, I would, uh, yeah, 100% agree. Uh, I like that the drumming's it's fast and precise like you'd expect with like a prog or power metal kind of thing but there's it, there's also really a nice depth of tone for mm-hmm. the drums which i like um and there's a lot of little flourishes that are tasteful but uh not 
it's not just boom tap you know yeah. there's a lot of extra stuff going on but it's also not flashy no uh, he's very powerful but yeah he's like he's he does know how to stay in the pocket and he does tasty stuff you're right it's not like weird it's not unnecessary or superfluous um yeah yeah i mean i there's a lot that's that's really cool here and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what they're gonna do um to me the uh i'm gonna be honest and say i think the vocals are kind of the weak link although when i say that i don't necessarily mean the voice of jeff stark's voice or his singing uh because he's clearly very very good um and he's got an excellent voice that i like a lot um i think I kind of ran into some trouble with the vocal writing and the vocal presentation. And uh, I mean, here's the part where, where I going to get a little bit picky. Um, I'm sure this will, this will not be the last time this happens. Um, <laughs> you know, as a, I've as known a singer, you for long enough to know that that's not the case. That's, the, that's <laughs> not going to be the case. Yeah. It's as a singer and as a voice teacher, you know, it's literally my job to get kind of picky about the singing. Um, so my, I guess my my main complaint with it is just that I really have a lot of trouble understanding what he's singing and and not just the literal words but like I'm not it's just so important in melodic metal I think to have a real strong sense of the vocalist's personality and the story they're telling and there are ways it can come through even even if the vocals, like even if the lyrics don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, or if there's a big English as a second language factor. Um, so you mentioned early Blind Guardian, and I'm a big fan of um, Battalions of Fear and Follow the Blind. <laughs> I really love those albums. Uh, and a lot of those lyrics are really hard to follow and, and kind of odd and, and obviously not fully fluent in English yet at that point. But you definitely still get a sense of Hansi's vision for what's going on. He manages to transmit that with the singing. And, um, and that's some of what I'm not really getting here. And some of that, it's probably, I know they added the singer uh, before the beginning of this. Yeah, and, and so, he, he, he came on last minute and like yeah, so, everything in like a, under a month or something. Yeah, exactly. So, and this, this is exactly the kind of thing that might come out in the wash, you know, especially as they move on to their next album. So I don't want to seem too you know i don't want to seem too harsh about it because i don't know what the factors are are that went into it and in a lot of ways it's, it's obviously a quality product i just found it kind of frustrating trying to follow along and also trying to grab on to memorable moments um and i just was having trouble finding those in the vocals i was finding them in the the rhythm guitars and in the um, in the melodies, certainly, but less in the in the lyrics and the story. There's a, there's a few vocal moments for me that, that stood out. Um, I'd say, um, the, vocal wise, the thing that um, again, when, you know, I'm not, I don't have the, the level of education about the voice that you do. Um, so I thought the vocals were were just fine. Um, the one thing I didn't like is that high falsetto harmony. This. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's and I understand that it's a technique that a lot of people employ and um, it's effective sometimes, but it just seems like it's ever present in a lot of these songs. And it's just like it, it, I find it personally distracting. Um, I think it pulls away from the main note. I can be used to it's used sometimes to create atmosphere and create a layer, um, but 
in a lot of these songs, in like especially in like whole verses and pre-choruses and shit, it's like there the whole time, and it's very very present. It's not mixed in the background. It's very present, and that kind of irked me a little bit. But that's yeah, I would say in general, the production on the voice is a little bit busy. Um, it's there's there's always layers to it, and um, and I think there's some doublings and stuff, and it, it's a pretty wet vocal sound and um and that can it sounds smooth and it sounds good but i think we're kind of losing some of the details of the vocal performance because of that that's what the, um, that's what I, I found with that high harmony especially is whenever yeah. that was happening um it distracted me from the main vocal which is obviously what you should be focusing on i mean anything that's a layer should be a layer and it should be something to augment the main vocal yeah, some, and so for that reason, it worked quite well sometimes and, and less well sometimes. Yeah. I just, I think it could be a little bit simplified. Um, so it, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about diction, and you asked me what diction means. Uh, and in, in this case of classical singing, I mean, that really just means like, you know, your, your vowels and your consonants and how clear are you making the words that you're speaking. But in... Uh, you know, pop music or, or metal or any genre where you're recording, then you also have the production kind of as a layer of something that can either like inhibit or help understanding and communication with the vocals. And I think too much production, what happens is if you, if you put in too many vocal layers, it starts to blend together the slight differences in each one and it blends together the vowels and it yeah. makes everything kind of sound a little bit more neutral and it's less clear what vowel is being said and what consonants being mm -hmm. said. It's definitely um, like a, a thing that is good sometimes when you want to like thicken something up or like, you mm -hmm. know, like yeah, make a, one section should be really slick or emphasized, but yeah, it, it does definitely lessen the dynamics a little bit. And the third layer, I think for this, uh, that kind of needs to be taken into consideration. And this is something I see a lot of bands doing. So I kind of wanted to mention it is just the, the setting of the words, like how the words fit with the music and where do the accents fall in the sentences you're singing. In this particular case, there's just a lot of wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. And it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of all over the place in the in the record, and and it makes it, for me at least, a lot harder to follow what's going on because it doesn't quite sound like English. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I'm gonna pick on a couple songs here. I just wrote down some stuff. I'm gonna pick on a couple of the songs I, I liked actually. Um, there's the song Imagination. Yep. Uh, I really I dug that one. It had a a cool guitar lick to start it. It's got a an interesting um bit of exoticism kind of it's got like a, a middle eastern scale based verse melody um which is cool but it just some of the examples of the kinds of phrases we're getting in here be on this world world full of surprise mm -hmm. we're getting things like um there's a line filled with wonder and fantasy and that and, is a very james lavery thing it's yeah. a if you listen, I, and I'm not a big Dream Theater fan. Um, Me neither. But that's something he does a lot. And I think it's purposeful. I don't know if it's so much of a mistake, but it's like, I caught that too. And I was like, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that, I really like that song too. Um, 
but that was one that you know did kind of go make me go okay that's that's definitely like a, that's a dream theater song you know that's yeah that technique is i don't know i think that's actually like a thing that he was doing on purpose because uh, that is a very james livery thing to way to sing a song maybe and if, if that's the case then maybe i should go back and listen to dream theater because i've i've heard it i've just never really dug it and, no, and maybe i don't think it either it's, if it's, that's some of what's going on, maybe that's what. Maybe I, maybe it's just a personal taste thing on my part. It, it could. It, it, it is on my part too. I mean, that was a song that I liked the music, but I didn't care for the the vocal line, and that's why I didn't because I I can't fucking stand Dream Theater. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I I liked that song because it had some unusual qualities that made it stand out a little bit yes. more. Um, but another example, and, and I'm I just picked on that song because I happened to be listening to it and I wrote some stuff down. There's a little examples of this kind of thing in every song. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is the song. Um, oh shoot, what's it called? The uh, the prophecy one. It's called the Oracle's prophecy. Oracle's prophecy, yeah. Yeah, and this is the one that has uh, Elisa C. Martin doing a guest vocal. I thought that was pretty cool. She sounded cool. I. I um, I had not heard Darkmoor before, mm-hmm. or um, I think Hamka is her is her current band. Okay. So that's I I like guest spots in metal. I think it's really cool to kind of like build these connections in the scene. Yep. Um, but the, the the this chorus on that song is another example. It's you can't wait. You can't escape your fate. And it's just if you say it, it sounds weird. You can't escape your fate. It, to me, that seems like it's. You know, and if you kind of blur it together even more, you can escape your fate. It ends up sounding like the sounds sound English, but it's hard to catch the words. And it's uh, it ends up sounding like a English phrase played backwards or something. And and to me, that's it's not so much a problem. Like it's a taste thing. If someone wants to do it that way, of course, that's that's cool. And if that's the, their, their vision, that's cool. But I just feel like in terms of taking it to the next level of really making memorable songs that are going to make people want to sing along and that are going to grab people's attention and are going to kind of bring them into the story and bring them into the world that the band's creating, then it's worth paying a lot of attention to how the lyrics are being presented. And I don't, I just don't really like it when it sounds like the words are kind of like square pegs being put into the round holes of the melody. If that Yeah. And, like I, I heard that, and I, I, I'd say vocally, the choruses are the parts of the songs I like the least. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of wicked verse melodies and a lot of really cool pre-chorus stuff. Um, the, the choruses tended to not be the most interesting parts of the, of the songs for me, um, especially vocally, but in general. And yeah, the thing you're talking about, I mean, I was, um, you know, like you said, I, I heard that and I'm like, oh, that's just like a real kind of dream theater proggy thing that he's doing and it doesn't suit my taste um that song you're talking about um too the oracle's prophecy was i i it was one of my least favorites on the record um it's a big blind guardian influence song like it has early blind guardian all over it but it's got that fucking high harmony thing over it all it just drove me nuts like it just kind of that just for me that kind of killed the song um but that being said, I mean, that's just one song. There's a lot more positives on the record for me, too. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would contend that, like, what you're saying about the choruses, that if there were a little bit more care being put into making them really, like, clear and understandable, both in terms of the words and the ideas in the chorus specifically, mm-hmm. that you, with the exact same melodies and the exact same musical material, it would reach out and grab you more. I, yeah. I'm betting it would. And, um, and some of it's even things like, I noticed there's a lot of, um, so on the song, uh, 
Misbegotten Dream, which mm-hmm. uh, picking on that one a little bit too, just because there's a lyric video. Um, it's a cool song with a lot of really vivid images in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's telling a story, I think, from a, from a Michael Moorcock fantasy series or something. Um, not sure the details of that, but there's a lot of really cool vivid images, but it's so packed with them that none of them quite pop out to me. Okay. And really like, I don't know, it's, it's good to have a limited number of strong images per song so that the audience's imagination can have something to grab onto. And in that particular song, there's also like two variations of the chorus. Um, mm-hmm. yep. And and that's fine, that's cool. I, I, you know, I certainly use that technique sometimes too, but it's worth being careful about because you know, repetition really can be your friend when it comes to letting the audience into your story. Okay. Anyway, that's, yep. I, I could rant about it for ages. Um, I think, and, and it's not to say there's not a lot of cool stuff going on here. I really like uh, what, what the voice sounds like on the album. Uh, I just would like to hear a little bit less uh, busyness and effects and processing so we can hear his real voice a little bit more. And I'd like to just hear a little bit more maybe focus and simplicity in some of the melodies and the, and the choruses um, and a little bit more attention to what the words are. And I think that could really take them to the next level. I think that's a fair assessment. And like we said, it's the debut record and it, he was pressed for time. Uh, my only major beef about the vocals myself is apart from like certain James Lavery moments, which are just, some people are really going to love those. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I just hate that falsetto backup. It's, it just, it drives me every single song by any band ever. And it's not, this is not an, an Adamantus thing. Every single song by any single band ever, including one that I used to be in, where there's those high falsetto backups, pisses me off. I just mm. hate it. Like, it's just, it's fingernails on a chalkboard to my ears. But a lot of people like it. Not everybody's me. Um, let's talk about a couple of things, uh, just a couple of minor things. And then I want to start talking about the good stuff on the record. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, bass, the bass player is a really good bass player, too. Um, I wish the bass cut a little more. I wish it, yeah. I wish it, um, it's a big full bass sound. It's really good. Um, I just wish it, it had a little bit more, possibly a little more mids in the tone and sliced through a little bit more at some points. Um, the production um, is really good um, overall. It's a little inconsistent track to track, I noticed. Um, and these are, like I said, these are the things that I noticed because like I'm kind of a studio nerd and um, like, you know, it just seems like there's a bit of difference and that's kind of normal. Like you don't necessarily want to treat every song the same, right? Because every song is a little different and it needs a little bit of a different touch, but it definitely, the levels and a lot of different things vary track to track to me, which say that it could have been recorded in a lot of different sessions, uh, which is not, not abnormal for a band recording on their own budget, you know? Right. I mean, but it does create that strange inconsistency to like an audio nerd like me at times. Um, but anyway, um, talk about the, uh, I want to talk about some more of the good stuff. Um, you know, like I said, the rhythm guitar, the harmonies, um, the melodies are all really awesome. Uh, the mm-hmm. drumming is world-class, like absolutely amazing. Um, some of the particular songs that I'd like to talk about the first, you know, first off, it kicks off with the intro. And I think that intro is really cool. It kind of like set the tone really well for the record. Um, and then, uh, the first track, um, Unbound Souls. Um, it kind of like I got the Blind Guardian influence right away. Like that, oh, yeah. infl- that intro reminds me of the song "Welcome to Dying." Um, mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. has those like kind of chords with like the leads over top of it and really busy drums at the same time. That's when I, I was like, "Oh man!" It's like and there's a really cool like harmony right off the bat. 
Um, it's classic power metal. Um, the Blind Guardian album is like right on the sleeves. I mean, it's one of Jeff's strongest vocal performances too. Yeah, um, yeah, and the, and the melodies in that one are really cool. Yeah, and it's, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's like the vocal melody on that is yeah. super catchy. Um, yeah. And it's one of my favorites on the record. It's just a, it's a great power metal song. I have to say, I'm, I'm really like jealous of Jeff Stark's voice, especially in his voice just sounds really great right at a spot where I have almost nothing. Like his voice can do a lot of shit that I, mine can't do. Um, so right up in like what we'd call the secondo passaggio, like the tenor second passaggio, um, right up around like a high C kind of sound. He's got this really nice expressive tone there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. Okay. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I I really dig it, and that that song definitely highlights some of the best parts of his voice. Yeah, and the and the chorus is well written to to uh, as a vehicle for his voice too. Yeah, it is. Um, and then after that, you touched on Misbegotten Dreams. Um, I found this song interesting. I don't know if it was one of my favorites on the record, but it definitely like um, it struck me. You know, it starts off with like a kind of a classic '80s feel to it, almost a yeah. little bit like you know, it, like a I don't know how to kind of describe it. It's like a really classic '80s metal feel. Then it gets into like almost a gothic feel in the chorus. Yeah. It has that clean arpeggio, uh, which reminds me of a lot of bands like Amorphous and Paradise Lost and, and those European gothic bands that I used to listen to a lot in the 2000s. Um, I haven't paid that genre much attention recently, but it, it, I didn't expect that. And, you know, and, uh, this, the vocals are kind of saying a bit lower too, mm -hmm. um, which contributes to that feel. I really like the verses in it. Um, my favorite falsetto backups come back to have some fun with me <laughs> in this song, but um, the hook is really, the, the vocal hook in the verses are really good. And I thought this was an, an interesting song. It, I enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't like my, one of my favorites from the record, but I thought it was really cool. Yeah. I was really pleased when they brought it down to that, I guess what you're calling a more goth kind of space, just a, 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 a quieter, more subtle space in the verse, just because, you know, with, with a power metal record, I'm always kind of worried, am I going to just be getting bludgeoned by the the whole time? And it was nice to be like, oh, it's already, it's track two and we're already doing something a little different. So that's- Yeah, I thought exactly the same thing. I'm like, all right, we're going to have some dynamics on this record. It's not going to be straight power metal. That's awesome. Next up comes my favorite track on this record. Puppeteer's Bane fucking rips. Like this song, it's like Running Wild beats Halloween. Put them all in a blender and this is what you got. It's like- the 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 vocal hook in the verses it's just soaring and awesome and mm -hmm. like uh there's like one of the more modern power metal bands holy grail uh this reminds me of them at, at certain points too this song this is my favorite song on the record um this song just absolutely kicks fucking ass like this is the kind of song where i'm driving my mustang and this comes on <laughs> and like the pedals to the fucking floor like this is the riffs are great the vibe is great um they're wearing their they're blending their influences together very nicely um, like at first I was like, oh, here, like, cool. It sounds like running wild a bit. Is it going to be like a running wild worship song? And then bam, it goes back to like Halloween gamma ray, uh, type power metal. And I was like, man, they're, they're mixing these up in a way that's really cool. Um, this is just some really, really badass uh, playing and great songwriting. Yeah. And it's a little bit more in and out, uh, quickly than some of the other tracks. Mm -hmm. It's a little shorter. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I have to say, I'm looking at the track listing here. I think a lot of the the, the songs on the second half of the album really grabbed me a little bit more. Yeah. Um, 
just because there was a little bit more, I guess, variety in style. Uh, we touched on imagination, but I think uh, track Journey's End really stood out to me. Yeah, that was, that a, was cool. That's a nice, cool drum, drum intro. Yeah, it has a good verse melody, and it's, um, it's a, a nice, uh, I like the vocal delivery. It's a little bit, I think, clearer and simpler. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and to me, a little bit more understandable and approachable. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what's going on in, in the in the verses, especially, um, yeah. I like the bass driven verses too. How it just kind of mm -hmm. like guitars really drop out, and they let the rhythm section just kind of groove underneath that. Um, like it, it's it's really cla it's really classy songwriting. I like it a lot. It's a great song. Definitely one of the highlights for me too. And um, yeah, we we kind of talked about the Oracle's prophecy. Uh, which is it definitely it stands out because of the guest performance um great riff it's it's got an awesome riff in it too like the, mm -hmm. that intro riff is really it's aggressive it's mean it's real catchy um so yeah it, it, it's it's that one wasn't one of my favorites but you know it, it's got some really good stuff in it um we missed um the rewinding bit we missed fire and brimstone oh fire and brimstone um yeah. another classic power metal song uh really great melodies in it um it's like I, I, I thought that it's a good song that maybe could have done better a different location in the album. Um, mm -hmm. Just come, I was just so, I guess I was just so stoked from the previous one that when that one hit, it just didn't hit me as hard. Um, yeah, I, think I mean, they, I, and I skipped put, over it. Yeah. If they put ima uh, Imaginations and switched it with Fire and Brimstone, I think both songs would have had more impact because, you know, you would come out from um, Pup Tears Bane into like this total change of pace with a mid-pace song like Imaginations, and then you go back to Fire and Brimstone, it probably would have hit me a little better. But it's still a really good song. It just was like, you know, the, the last one I was just like, literally like ready to like, like drive my fucking car like through a brick wall because I was just so fucking stoked. Um, <laughs> but it was, so I guess that's the only, but I'd like to spend some more time with that song later because I think it just, when sometimes when a song follows a track that you really like it, it's kind of in the same vein. Um, it might not hit you as well. Yeah, the same thing kind of happened to me. I think that's probably why I skipped over it when I was talking just now because I didn't really have much to say about it because it didn't really grab me, even though I remember thinking, oh, it's a good song, but it just it didn't. Good. And it's, I mean, the album, it's its 56 minutes. My, my taste is just to say, like, we probably could have lost one song. Not that they're not all good, I but agree. just like to, to make sure that everyone kind of has its... It has its essential, necessary place. We probably could have lost one, and I probably would have said that one just because it's the one that grabbed me the least. Yeah, I mean, um, I was actually thinking. Oh, we'll get. I'll get to what, what I think at the uh, at the end when it comes to that. Yeah, uh, I guess we were talking about Oracle's prophecy. So then, Second Sight is after that, and here's a, this is a cool song. They kind of like get a bit folky here. Um, yeah, I liked this one. I did too. I liked it a lot. I kind of wish that that folky riff at the beginning was a little more prominent in the song. But I thought yeah. the song I thought the song was awesome. Yeah, they explore a few different realms. They kind of go towards like more like the Hobbit's tale of Blind Guardian, um, mm -hmm. more towards Blind Guardian's folky side than their old power metal side. But that's still like the influence they're really wearing in this one. Um, it's a real good it's a real good track. It's super interesting. Um, great riffs, great hooks. Yeah, this is a this is a, another great track. And there's some cool like kind of occult type stuff going on in the lyrics and. Uh in dealing with the issues of kind of like the previous track issues of fate and destiny and stuff. And that's always good subject matter. It is. So. I mean, that just, that, that always works for me. Um, then after that was another big highlight for me to see Jamarcona. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think on first listen, this is the one that stood out the most to me. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's awesome. 
it's i mean you get the man of war kind of mm-hmm. worship going on here Which always makes me happy yeah exactly <laughs> uh, yeah it's just like the, the i like the, the kind of classical guitar intro um to start it which kind of sets the tone i, I kind of was like oh i know what we're getting here because like like when you hear that kind of guitar you know something epic is coming after it and yeah, yeah it's definitely got that battle anthem kind of thing um it's a slow fist pumping that's gonna be great live like this is the kind of yeah. thing that's gonna go over really well live this is the kind of song i want in the gym when i'm pulling a fucking 400 pound deadlift like this is the kind of music i listen to when i'm doing that so i also thought like out of all the choruses uh you know if i'm watching this band live and i don't know any of their songs this is the one i'm gonna be able to like remember and sing along with absolutely no there's no question it's, it's definitely the most memorable chorus i'd like to see more songs like this from them in the future mm-hmm. um the next song was like boron the raven song um this one kind of like with fire and brimstone again i guess maybe it's just because it follows a song that i really love i thought siege of arcona should have ended the record i mean unless there's some kind of story here that i'm missing because i don't know what the fuck the lyrics are talking about um I think Sergeant Siege of Arcona should have been the last track on the record. Um, and one of the other two could have been put somewhere else. And like you said, one track could have gone and it probably would have hit the sweet spot lengthwise. Yeah. I, I really, I have to say though, I really like this Voron song. Like yeah. it, it definitely is one of the standouts for me, probably top three on the album. It's, it's a great, it's um, a great song. I just think it could have been somewhere else. Like Fire and Brimstone was a song you want to take out. If you put the Voron Raven song where Fire and Brimstone was, Strengthen side one and give them a epic memorable ending. To me. Yeah, I mean it, it. It is a good ending track, but it could have been a side one ending track too. Yes, that's, um, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like with the title and and some of the like melodic feel is that it might kind of connect with some of that Slavic mythology as well. Okay, I don't know that for sure, but uh, maybe it's just because after I heard the Siege of Arcona and I, you know, they've got a. Uh, there's a voice speaking some sort of, I'm not sure which Slavic language, if it's like an old Slavonic or if it's one of them. I don't know. I know a couple of the members have different backgrounds. I know the drummer has a Slavic name, so I'm not sure uh, what the exact um, background is there. But I think after the Siege of Arcona, because I recognized some of these uh, historical references, like, mm-hmm. you know, Arcona being the last pagan city uh, and then the, the Teutonic Knights who were, spreading Christianity around and killing people and whatnot um, in like the 1200s AD. So I, I know a little bit about some of that stuff and that gave me something to grab onto. And then I think once I grabbed onto that, then the next track, I was like, oh, cool. We're like in this sort of pagan Slavic mindset and I can really get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was stoked on, on the Raven song uh, for that reason. But I also think it, it would have worked potentially equally well if not better somewhere else in the album as well possibly yeah but i mean it, 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 it is a, it is a rad song um so you know i just think that siege of arcona was it just kicked my ass so hard that yeah. you know it took me a couple more listens to actually um get into the last track and kind of wrap my head around it just because like again it just when, sometimes when like something just hits you that hard the next song we need to go back a couple listens later to actually re- really get into what the hell's going on um, so I think I I get the sense that like one day a few months from now probably I'll like be shuffling my library and one of these tracks that I didn't pay much attention to is going to come on and I'm going to be like fuck yeah dude absolutely you know, you know what the, 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 I'd say this this is another strength about this record is that it's deep there's no like as far as whole songs go there's no throwaways on this record like there aren't there isn't a song where I'm like 
you know, a lot of times you go through a song and you're like, oh, this is like some filler. This They just put this here because they needed something. Um, yeah. These songs are all great. They're all unique and they all, they, they all, they all kick ass in their own right. I mean, even the songs where I'm like, this didn't grab me as much. It's still a badass tune. Like, you know, it's like, it's just like for, you know, kind of like if you think about the timeline of this podcast, like we basically picked the record a week before we um, talk about it. So mm-hmm. that's the, all these impressions we're giving are like still kind of our first, almost first, not first, first impressions, but they're still early impressions. Yep. Um, which is cool because it's raw, but you know, with records, like a lot of times it takes you a couple months or even a year to like, go, oh man, I never got into that track until now. But so it's a deep record and I, am, I, I foresee that happening to me too, because it's in my tunes rotation now. So. Yeah. I always love it to, when, when some reviewer or, or critic, you know, comes out and says, you know what, like when I reviewed this album, I said this, this, and this, but now for some reason I've listened to it 127 more times oh, and man. now I finally get it, you know? Yeah, I know. Like there's a, there's, a, there's a couple, there's a reviewer that actually came up to me and said like, you know, man, I should have given your, uh, your record a higher review. I really enjoy it. I listened to it more than albums that I gave a higher review. I'm like, yeah, you fucking should have given it a higher <laughs> review, you dumbass. <laughs> But or a higher number rating. We don't do number ratings on this show, but you know. Um, but anyway, I guess um, that pretty much covers the album um, as a whole. You know, I I think this is a great record. Um, I'm gonna buy it. Um, I'm you know we 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 spent a good amount of time nitpicking, but I mean we're not here to kiss people's ass. We're here to like review records, and we're a couple honest guys. And you know, I I, I like it when people give me honest, raw, unfiltered feedback about something I'm doing. Um, so that's just it. I mean, we definitely talked about some things that we maybe took issue with. I don't know if that's the right term, but, um, you know, overall, this record is an awesome debut, better than most debuts. Um, and I'm very excited that this, this band is around now. I'm very excited that they've been signed to Cruz del Sur. They definitely deserve it. And, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they really looking forward to seeing what they do next. I'm really hoping that selfishly hoping that we can do shows with these guys. Cause I think it would be a great pairing. Um, yeah, I think that could be really cool. You know, two bands um, that, you know, are kind of on the same level and path in their career um, and the same, uh, really along a very sim- similar timeline. And I got to say, like, I've been talking to, like, their guitar player is also named Jeff, and I've been talking to him a bit on Facebook, and he's just a fucking awesome individual. And, you know, Jeff Stark, when he lived out here, my interactions with him were always, like, top shelf. He's just a class act. So awesome. these guys are these guys are really good dudes. I'm happy for them. Um, I think they've crafted a great debut here um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line for me. I mean, I, I did nitpick a little bit as well, but when I do that, you know, I'm not I'm certainly not trying to cut anybody down as the things I get frustrated with, I get frustrated because I want to see the, the, the product and the singing be as good as it can be. And I just, you know, see a couple opportunities for growth here. But I think, uh, especially as the band spends more time together and now, now that they're signed, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really stoked to see what they, what they come up with next, because I bet they'll smooth out some of these issues that we talked about and possibly bring in some other influences. I mean, there's, there's like a lot to work with just on this one album uh, in terms insane of different Insane amount directions. of talent in this band. Insane oh, absolutely. amount of talent. Everybody. Yeah, and there's... Everybody's a killer in this band, every single one. And there's a bunch of directions they could go and have it still work. They could go more proggy, they could go more folky, they could go more classic power metal, um, or kind of all three. And uh, they could go more like American power metal style, they could go more European. 
Uh, oh, the joys of making your second record. Oh yeah, <laughs> as we all know, sometimes those those all those options are they're a blessing and they're a curse. You know, but yeah, they they definitely are a band to keep your eye on because I don't think they're going anywhere. I think that they're gonna really keep. Uh, they've they've made a big splash with this one. I've watched reception all over the internet be very 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 positive. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked these guys are here, and I'm stoked that uh, I'm going to get to listen to them make more music. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I certainly recommend that, uh, yeah, don't miss out on it, because these guys could easily go on to be, you know, at the top of their field and carving a niche of their own, and, you know, don't, don't miss the opportunity to get in on the ground floor. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Adamantis, Far Flung Realm. Hell yeah, boys. Great record. Highly recommend it. So um, now I guess we're going to get into our picks of the week. Um, if you don't mind, I'll go first. Um, so our picks of the week, if you're not familiar with the segment, we, me and Rev each pull an album that we own from our collection and we just kind of, and it, we just kind of chat about it. And, you know, this, this segment, the records can be a little more, you know, they can be older, they can be newer, they can be of kind of any genre. Um, this is just kind of us freeform talking about it. Um, obviously they're all going to be metal but or of some sort you know but anyway um this week i have selected the ep from gatekeeper in 2009 well gray maiden um i absolutely love this ep um i think that they took what they did on uh, their full length uh east of sun and just kind of refined it on this this ep um the production is a step up the songwriting is a step up even the artwork is a step up I mean, this was... Uh, oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I've got this record, too. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, they have a really cool cover of Richard III by Tredegar on here, um, which is, like, for, like, total, like, obscure new wave of British heavy metal geese is a really cool record. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, I, I tend to be a bit, of, a bit of a dork like that, only to an extent. Um, but um, the track Moss is a big standout for me. Um, oh, yeah. There's a really cool violin part on it that I really, think, that I really like. Um, yeah, and they recorded this one um, with my buddy Matt Roach at Rain City Recorders in Vancouver. Um, Matt is a good friend of mine and a really great producer. Um, and, you know, Gatekeeper are all, like, some of my best friends, like, you know, especially, like, Jeff and Dave and Tommy. Um, for those of you who don't know, me and Jeff uh, played, and Tommy played in the Blind Guardian tribute, and Jeff basically pillaged most of that band and formed Gatekeeper. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a great EP. Um like they they made east the sun they got signed uh that made a big splash they did some tours they went to europe and they followed it up with gray maiden and i think that they really um leveled up on this one even though it's just even though it's an ep with four songs on it three originals and a cover um i think it's a good foreshadowing of things to come i think it shows signs of a band um really you know learning their craft and paying attention to it and um improving on a product um that was you know already great to begin with and i think i think they're making a full length now and i think it's going to be even better than than this one is so um i'm not just saying that because like they're friends of ours you know uh greyhawk and gatekeeper have done a lot lots of done some touring and done lots of festivals and lots of shows together we'll continue to do that because they're you know one of my favorite newer bands going these days so hell yeah great uh gatekeeper gray maiden if you don't have it get it you won't regret it it's an awesome record it's a fun ep man it's a I, it was one of the first records I got when I uh, when I got my record player 
back in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I was given a, rec- a vintage record player, um, which was awesome. I was like, oh, I can get records now. And, and pretty shortly thereafter, uh, we played Hyperspace Festival up in Vancouver and uh, gatekeeper singer JP wasn't able to be there. And so they had some guest vocalists and I sang one of the songs. And uh, so Jeff gave me that record kind of as a, as a thanks for performing with him. And um, I remember I took it home and put it on but this was the first EP I'd gotten and the first, uh, I guess the first <laughs> I like 12 inch 45 I'd ever gotten. So I put it on and I was like, man, this is doomy. Yeah. Like I had, I had no idea this was so heavy. Like, <laughs> wow, this doesn't really, wow, that surprised. It doesn't sound like gatekeeper. Yeah, right. <laughs> and eventually yeah. I figured out like, oh, that's what that switch is for. That's funny, dude. <laughs> all right, what um, you got, man? All right, well, I thought it'd be fun to, because, um, you know, knowing me, I'm probably going to drop a lot of obscure stuff on you guys. And, you know, I've only been collecting records, especially for, for a few years, and I don't have that many CDs. So I'm probably going to be throwing some weird stuff your way. I thought it might be fun to uh, talk about something that, that more people know um, that I really like. So here we have Dream Evil by Dio. Hell yeah. Um, I mean, probably a lot of people who are listening to this are familiar with this album. So um I'm probably not going to be introducing something new to anyone, but I, I just, it has a special place in my heart. Like Dio is, is my biggest vocal influence uh, in this genre, at least, but probably in general too. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say dream evils, the best Dio album. I'm not going to try to say it's better than Holy Diver or lost in line or last in line. I mean, um, or any of the records they did with Vivian Campbell. But for some reason, I just like reach for this album all the time. I just like always find myself wanting to listen to it. And um, it was probably the the number one album that kind of influenced my approach on the Greyhawk album, Keepers of the Flame, just in terms of like what overall sound I was envisioning in my head and also how I approached the harmonizing, stuff like that. Um, it's got a, just a bit of a different vibe from the other Dio albums. It's got uh, more keyboards, courtesy of Claude Schnell, who was the keyboardist for the first four Dio albums. But he, they kind of like let him off his leash, I guess, a little bit on this album. And so it's got that kind of little bit slicker, more produced kind of um, 80s album tone. Um, yeah, it definitely does. It's a little more polished than the, than the ones that came before it. Um, I mean, you're talking about a time in recording history when things are starting to get a little more digital. Um, and they're, they're putting a little more polish on stuff like that, especially vocals. Um, but yeah, so continue. You're, you're right, though. Yeah, it's, it's um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just like that. It, has, it kind of goes down smooth for that reason. But um, it's interesting because it doesn't have really any of the big hits necessarily, at least not that people no. think of first. I remember um, occasionally you'll see like an older copy of this that has a sticker from the record label on the front that says, includes the smash hit, I could have been a dreamer. <laughs> Which, I know, love that song, but I, right. I, I don't know where that was a hit, but you know, it's um, definitely a wicked song. I think like part of what I really like about it, it's it's just got this really interesting emotional tone to it. Um, I don't know. I just think side one is just kind of flawless. Yeah. Night people is, is a really 
underrated Dio track, I think. Now, my One of my favorites. All the full sail, sail the way. That yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just, it's incredible. There's nothing it quite like it. It's you know, it's its, it's its own kind of metal ballad. I think Sunset Superman is an amazing track yep. uh, that doesn't get a lot of credit. It's got an amazing vocal performance from Dio. And it, I guess one of the things I like about it, he's like, he's just, uh, I guess, pushing himself a little bit more, not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that just like, it has a bit more of a raw emotion to it on some mm-hmm. of these tracks. Yeah. Even the way he sings like, dreaming, screaming on Sunset Superman. It just like, it, it really, there's a pathos to it that really resonates with me. Um, and his voice is not quite as, uh, it's showing a little bit of, of strain, I think, from all the touring he was doing in the 80s and also just aging. You yeah. know, when singers get older, the their vibrato just naturally kind of starts to slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's something that a lot of singers have to watch out for um, later in their careers is, is kind of what's called the wobble. You don't want to get the the vibrato that's so wide it's like mm, 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 mm. and is that something and, like to do with your, your throat muscles like stretching out over time or um there's a lot that goes into it i mean some of it's like if you put too much pressure on the vocal folds for too long they're just not as able to kind of maintain their um what am i trying to say they're not they're not kind of able to maintain their springiness almost mm-hmm. um and part of vibrato is also it has to do with the kind of your biorhythms and yeah. just kind of the, the natural um i think they call it the um what is it the it's, it's not the pulse but it's like a there's there's a kind of natural rate it has to do with your whole body's kind of system so part of that is you get older and, and kind of generally your your body is slowing down and and the voice kind of starts to to show that. So you're starting to hear a little bit of a wider vibrato on this. You can hear it in all the fools sailed away. It's not quite the same kind of like direct forward kind of vocal sound that, that Dio has on like last in line, for example. Um, but the singing is just like, it's just really wonderfully expressive on this album. Um, and uh, it's, it's especially side one side two is, is also good. Could have been a dreamer is a great track. Faces in the window is a great track that I think is underrated. Um, I like Overlove. It's goofy, but I think the band is having a lot of fun. I like the uh, the kind of Richie Blackmore style, like picked riff in the beginning. Well, this, I can't remember. I can't. Remember. Is this Craig Goldie on this record? Yeah, this is Craig Goldie. This is the first album with Craig Goldie. Yeah. So this is ultimately the same lineup that would go on to make Magica. Yeah, well, so I mean, J- Jimmy, Jimmy Bain and Vinny Apice are still there, which is yeah. probably my favorite rhythm section of all time. Right. Um, but it just, as, at least, as far as like at least clap, like 80s metal goes, I don't think anybody did as good as those, those two did. They were just, they knew each other so well. Um, so yeah, it's just like, what a great fucking band, you know? Yeah. So I, I just kind of wanted to highlight, like, I don't know, maybe if there's someone out there who's is about to rediscover their love for Dio or hasn't listened to it before, like, Make sure this album's on your list because oh, hell it's, yeah. Hell yeah. it's it's an absolute classic and it's got a unique kind of special vibe that I haven't heard on any other album um, ever made. And it's pretty much, it's also very consistent. Like there's not really any filler on it except maybe the last track, When a Woman Cries, lyrically hasn't aged as well as some of the other ones, um, but there's still some cool stuff musically. With it could the be worse. Were there songs that have aged worse? But yeah, <laughs> very true. 
All right, man. Well, that's awesome. I haven't, I haven't thought about that record in a minute. So, you know, that was, that was cool to revisit. I'll have to listen to it on my commute to work tomorrow. Yeah, and pay special attention to some of those deep cuts. Sunset Superman, Overlove, Faces in the Window, because um, those are all, like, you know, great heavy metal tracks. That... I agree. So I guess but before we get into our topic, um, and we, this is going to be a lead in, I just want to let everybody know that, um, you know, our podcast is now available on all your major podcasting platforms. We're on Apple Music, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. I'm no expert on what podcast platforms people use. Those to me are the major ones. I only ever use Apple Music, so I don't know. If there's any other way anyone listening to this wants to, us to get our podcast to you, um, let us know. Uh, just send us a message on our Facebook page and we'll sort it out. Also, we will be starting a YouTube channel. Um, with we won't have whole episodes on the YouTube channel, but we do videotape every single one of our podcasts. So we will probably put some highlights and some clips up um, in the coming weeks. So that's going to be coming on the pike. So watch for that. Um, but anyway, um, now it's time to kind of just open this pit up. <laughs> a little bit of free form discussion. And I, I chose a topic this week and it was, uh, it was inspired by a conversation, couple a conversation I had with a couple people and they were asking us about this podcast and said, you know, how come you're not talking in your deep dives necessarily about older albums? Because, you know, you're the classic metal podcast, so why aren't you going to talk about albums in the 80s? And my response to them was, because who cares about a deep dive about Number of the Beast in 2021? I think we've all listened to Number of the Beast enough. Um, the idea of this podcast is for anything, and we, we could do an older record, um, but currently we are choosing to do newer releases by bands who have the classic sound. Um, selfishly for us, it's a way for us to make sure we listen to newer bands. Um, and also, I just, I don't think me talking about, you know, Black Sabbath Volume 4 for an hour is really that interesting. Um, and that leads us to a topic this week, which is nostalgia in heavy metal. Um, the fact that people are very, I find that metalheads are very nostalgic for the old times of metal, the 80s, even parts of the 90s, even the 70s. And I'm not talking about bands who write in that style. Um, that's a thing that's always going to be there. There's always going to be people who love heavy metal at its core, like anything. There's going to be people who love, like, for example, like, I, I'm a big uh, beer nerd. There's going to be people who like really innovative styles of beer with like inverted nitro fruited sour IPAs or whatever. And there's people like me who want a good Pilsner who want a Belgian double, you know, that's always going to be there. Um, but my, um, the topic is the kind of obsession that I've noticed with it. Um, the fact that people don't want to seem to check out new bands anymore, period. This belief that there are, is no more good metal music out there that everything happened that's going to happen in the eighties and then raw, just rather listen to heaven and hell again. And heaven and hell is my favorite record of all time, but I don't always want to listen to it. Sometimes I want to hear some shit that's fresh because to me, music is a journey. I'm always wanting to hear something new. I'm always wanting to hear something good. It doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. Obviously this is the classic metal pop. The, the irony of talking, talking about this on the classic metal podcast is not lost on me here, folks. It's not, <laughs> but, um, I definitely think that there's a lot of people who are just hung up on Priest and Maiden and 
all these old bands. And these bands have been making shit records for the last 20 years, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, the last good Iron Maiden record was in 2000. None of the other stuff was good. And, you know, they get a pass for that, as they should, because they're a bunch of old guys, and, you know, they probably don't have it in them to write a great record anymore. I mean, people still pay attention to Metallica for some reason, even though they've just been acting like a bunch of bozos since the 90s. And same with Priest. I mean, God, the last good Priest record was probably Painkiller. Um, you know, Angel of Retribution was okay, but the last couple were boring. Um, Redeemer of Souls should have been called Rehasher of Riffs. <laughs> and Firepower was um, Painkiller Light. And Ripper Owens is Ripper Owens, you know? Like, <laughs> I think that those, I think those, I think those Ripper al the albums get ripped. They get a little, there's some good tracks on there, but I don't know. Let me talk, like you talked about earlier, like, Ripper's got a good voice, but he, he can't write his way out of a paper bag. Um, so <laughs> I think he's listening to this. I'm not sorry, dude. You can't write a song to save your ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's just like, it seems to me like there's an obsession with that, the old, the old guard of metal and you know iron maiden and judas priest are still even though they make shitty records for 20 years they're still selling out stadiums and you got bands who play a similar style who are making great music and they can't get out of the clubs yep. and it's it's to me it's it's actually crazy like to think that there are bands like you know a band could put out an album like like the witch hazel one we reviewed last week or iron savior for God's sakes, mm -hmm. you know, they had put out these actually kick-ass metal records. Um, and Adamantus too. This is a new, young, hungry man. Um, and they can't get out of the clubs. And it's just, it's like, it's crazy to me that people will go watch a bunch of old farts. I mean, Maiden still deliver live. Priest, Priest is like a Priest cover band now. Like Tipton and Downing aren't even there. Mm -hmm. And it's not even, it's, it's a Priest cover band. And they still sell at stadiums. Um, you know, like there's all these bands touring with like one original member um, and a bunch of hired guns and like they're on big festivals and stuff. And there's all these newer bands that just get their wings clipped by this nostalgia. Like they're not getting, I don't believe that newer metal bands who play, who play like classic heavy metal are getting a fair shake because everyone's just hung up on these old farts. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, it raises some interesting questions about how art is supposed to progress um it seems like there's this kind of belief that in popular styles of music they arise at a certain time they're popular and then they fall out of favor and then they should be done that's kind of the mainstream view right mm -hmm. uh but like oh this this classic style of heavy metal was something that happened in the 80s and that's the only time it really happened and then grunge happened and then killed it and then everything after that yeah. was just nostalgia you're right uh, but i mean i'm i certainly don't subscribe to that view obviously i think that you know if there's a style of music you like making and it suits you there's always a chance to like explore it and get deeper into it uh but it is it, it's something i think as as metalheads and metal musicians we should be kind of careful we want to respect the canon you know the artistic canon of heavy metal um and the the albums that are kind of universally considered great but you know you don't want to worship those things so much that you choke off the present um yes. and this is something that you know i've seen a lot in the opera world because 
you know, most opera companies now, especially like a smaller opera company in the US, there's maybe a list of, of maybe 30 operas that are gonna ever be in their repertoire because those are the only names that people know and the only ones that are gonna sell tickets. And so it's, it's kind of like every, you know, some composers have, you know, three or four in a couple cases or more than that on, on the list. But, you know, usually it's like a composer has one or two. And if you're a fan of an opera like, I don't know, Mozart's Idomeneo, it's a really cool opera, which is probably like the equivalent of a, I don't know, Iron Maiden's Killers or something, you know, like it's a great album, but it was kind of an early effort. You're just going to be kind of SOL unless you're like living in a place where they do operas all the time because they're there's only like these 30 operas that ever get done and all of them are written, you know, a hundred years ago or more. And no one's writing new stuff that really people, that people want to hear because they're all trying so hard to innovate that they come up with something that doesn't actually sound good. Yeah. Or if they do something that is at all like kind of in an older style, then a lot of the critics are like, well, this is just like nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah, I'd like to clarify a couple things on this topic as well. Um, I mean, that's interesting to me, for one, that that's happening in other genres too, um, especially like a, a classic genre like opera. That's interesting to me that it happens there as well. Um, but I'm not, we're not sitting here, when I came up with this topic, I was like, hey, everybody stop listening to Dio Sabbath and Priest and Maiden and just listen to new bands. No, those old those old albums are like the shit. I mean, those, that's all the stuff that I grew up listening to. Um, and I know I'll never hear music that hits me like that again. Mm -hmm. Like it just won't. Cause that's the stuff I heard in my formative years. That's the stuff that made me fall in love with the genre. Now that doesn't mean that music stops. Music keeps going. Mm -hmm. And to touch on your earlier point, when people go, Oh, metal was great in the eighties and the nineties killed it. The grunge didn't kill shit. Grunge killed it on the radio. Mm-hmm. but um it killed hair metal you know and honestly who cares like by the time i mean I, and i like a lot of hair metal but by the point it had gotten to in 1991 someone needed to shoot that shit dead because it was just i've subjected you to tough music videos in the morning <laughs> when we're a few too many beverages into a saturday <laughs> night and if you don't know there's a band called tough t-u-f-f and just youtube that shit and oh. get ready to laugh because it's <laughs> it's comical but you know, there were bands all through the 90s making great power metal, making great sounding classical metal. Um, you know, Blind Guardian started up in the 90s. You know, all like all these bands were still like, you know, Halloween and all these other bands. They kept rolling. Um, some of them made unfortunate attempts to capitalize on the grungy sound or even like the new metal sound. Like <laughs> when we talked about Diabolus and Musico last week, I think, <laughs> yeah. you know. But, you know, they, they, like there were still bands that were, 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 were flying the flag, you know? And I'm not just I mean, talking can... about Pantera. People go, oh, Pantera saved metal in the 90s. Like, dude, metal didn't go nowhere. Yeah, and I think you could even make the argument that in some ways it got better because it wasn't tied to public opinion as much. Certainly. It was, it was more underground, and that's actually, like, in an odd sort of way, more sustainable then, you know, if you're relying on the radio and, and, and millions of records being sold to determine what your sound gets to be, uh, then that's not a very solid basis to Correct. like 
to create a scene that lasts for a long time. Yeah, and I mean, it, it really had its resurgence in the 2000s, you know. Ironically, it was an Iron Maiden album to me that kind of kicked it off. Um, when Brave New World came out, it kind of like made a signal that this stuff was still alive. Um, but at the same time, like, I mean, that's 21 years ago. Like, <sighs> again, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm, I, I, it, it's, it's strange to me why, you know, a lot of these bands have to, like, we could throw us in there, too, where we have to, like, scratch and claw for a piece, and we got to tour hard, and, you know, it's, there's a lot of bands who have been doing it, and, and we're a young band, and, you know, a band like Adamantis is a young band, and certainly we got to get in the van, and we got to pay our dues. Um, we got to earn, you got to earn your keep, but there are, are, you know, really big metal bands that come to town, and they play, like, you know, Elko, the same fucking place we play, you yeah. know, and it's, like, I don't understand why this band isn't in a bigger spot. I just don't get it. Um, but any act from the 80s that comes to town, like stadium, huge um, theater, um, and it's just it's just the nostalgia, you know? It's not like if, if you take some of these albums that are getting made now and put them back in the 80s, guess what? They would compete with all those albums made back then, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just... I don't know. I, I, I wish, I wish people were, were more open to new music. You know, sometimes when I talk about new bands with like metalheads now, they just kind of groan, you know, oh, you're listening to, listen to that or whatever. And it's like, um, it's frustrating. I find it very frustrating because. Yeah. And it's frustrating to like, I don't know. I mean, obviously we, we love the old style and we listen to albums from the eighties and that sound kind of affects our sound, for example, but I've always found it really frustrating, you know, seeing in reviews or whatever, when someone's just like, this is a nostalgic band and everything's so much like the 80s. And it really like makes me think of Judas Priest. And I mean, and all that's true, but like, I would just would like to think that there's more to it than that, because <laughs> I'm putting a lot more to it, I, than that into it, you know? I mean, so, okay, I'll, I'll put it like this. There are bands that are nostalgia bands, right? There are definitely are. There are bands that like, get up in costumes, so to speak, with like big old aviator sunglasses and like 14 bullet belts and spandex and, you know, zebra striped pants and all this shit. And they rehash it, you know? And I don't like that. Some people like it. I don't like it. Um, I'm not going to talk shit on anyone who does it, um, but there definitely are bands like that that you could call nostalgia bands. But there are also bands that just play straight up heavy metal. They play, or they play power metal or they play um, anything that has that vein of what music was in, in the 80s. Do people say this about like jazz? You know, this, do people go, oh, that's just like a 30s jazz band. <laughs> you know? I don't know enough about the jazz or, scene to really say. They, like when, when, when there's, or someone's like writing a, 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 like an orchestra piece, like a classical piece. They go, oh, that's just a, you know, 1600s era, you know, conduct a composer or whatever it's like I, in, in some ways yeah i mean it's it's kind of like i was saying earlier like especially in the mid part of the 20th century and this is when i think opera really ran into some trouble in the mid part of the 20th century there there was this idea that everything was supposed to be so innovative and so modern and nothing like anything that came before that when someone came along and wrote a, a piece that actually like sounded good to sing and gave you melodies you could whistle that that was you know, just shot down as being like simplistic and sentimental and old fashioned. 
So there's a, for example, there's a composer uh, named Giancarlo Menotti, Italian composer who wrote in English actually, who wrote really good stuff, uh, but it's at the time, so much of it was like shot down for being old fashioned because it didn't sound like fingernails on a chalkboard, which <laughs> is the way it would have been like progressive enough for, for everyone at the time. But nowadays, like, guess what? Minotti's operas still get done. Not all the time, but sometimes because they actually are pleasant to sing and pleasant to listen to. And he wrote well for the voice. Do you think that um, it's possibly the same thing in metal music because rock and heavy and hard rock and heavy metal just evolved so fast? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I mean, if you yeah. think it like, if you look at like where it, you know, the, the origins of like heavy rock are in like the late 60s, early 70s, I mean, and now it's what, 50 years later, that's not, in the grand scheme of like music, that's not that long. Um, like there's a lot of, it because I, I think possibly because te technology came into play, like mm -hmm. amplifiers changed, guitars changed, you know, everything went digital. Um, it was a quick evolution from where we were then to where we are now. Um, the fact that, you know, so, so maybe that there's, there's just been this path of like innovation and fast innovation for so many years that when you get to a certain level, um, like you said, innovation starts to become like not melodic and pleasant. Um, there definitely are a lot of bands that like do really experimental stuff these days that just it's really abrasive and it doesn't suit my ears and I don't think it suits the ears of most humans honestly um there are people that really love it um but I don't know I just think that there comes a point where you should just let yourself enjoy things and you know we shouldn't worry too much about obviously so obviously when a band blatantly rips something off like you got that that's a problem you know like I definitely, there was this one band, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like some friends of mine brought it to my attention and they literally ripped off um, Iron Maiden's Son of a Seventh Son album, like almost note for note. They just kind of changed a few keys and like the lyrics. It was like, I don't know if they thought no one would notice or if it was a joke or a rib, but it was crazy. And like, if you listen to, um, I think I played it for you once. There's a Megadeth album that came out in like 2000 or 2001. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but it's a really shitty record. Um, but the last song on that album is called When, and it is straight up Am I Evil by Diamond Dead. <laughs> they ripped it off, like, is, oh my God, it, it's, it's flagrant. And that's not cool. Like, nobody should be, like, copying people's songs. That's not okay. Um, borrowing? Sure. Um, but... I don't know. I just logic seems dictates to me that if this is the kind of music you like, when people put out new stuff, you'd want to check it out and you'd want to get into it. And you know, if you have any kind of curiosity in your in your in your being, you wouldn't write it off just because music documentaries told you that like metal died when grunge hit. Right. Yeah. Well, I think there's this idea, like, in the currents of fashion in our society, kind of that we're supposed to just go along with the pace of change in society and it all kind of happens together and, and we go along with it. So like in the seventies, you know, we we're all supposed to be smoking weed and driving, I don't know, El Caminos and <laughs> listening like to black time. Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in the eighties, we're all supposed to be, I don't know, doing Coke and wearing sunglasses and, you know, 
driving Ferraris and listening to Dawkins and in the nineties, we're all supposed to be like doing heroin and like listening to nine inch nails. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's like, there's all these things that are just assumed oh, they go together because that was the culture then. And this is the culture now. And it's all sort of changing, but I, I don't think that's ultimately very sustainable because it's, it's like our, our whole society is kind of wandering around and, and not really like, committing to any kind of tradition and i don't know i think about like classic heavy metal and I, wouldn't it be cool if it turned out to be something like i don't know shaolin kung fu or something where it's like thousands of years from now there's still people who are like playing metal in the old ways there because it's be, fun you know i mean like, like i said last week metal is just rock and roll music turned all the way up uh, especially in the classic thing it's basically just it's the same it's the same general scales it's the same it's the same rhythmic ideas you know it's the same music writing principles and you know rock and roll just kind of the blues turned all the way up and then you got like and then and with a little bit of, and you take blues to take the swing out of it and and turn it really loud you basically got rock music and then you take rock music and you turn it all the way up and you got metal as far at least in the classic vein is my opinion um so there's always going to be somebody that likes that kind of stuff because you know, it's, it, you're right. It's fun. It's, especially if you're kind of like the person that doesn't really relate to mainstream society, mainstream, I don't want to beg on the, out, the old outcast thing, you know, metalheads are outcasts. It's just that, that horse has been beaten to death and I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to kick it anymore. Um, but you know, it, it is, if you're someone that doesn't really relate to mainstream culture, doesn't want to be spoon fed the latest dribble that comes out of the radio. Um, and dude, Rock radio today? Oh my god! Like, oh my god! I listen I, to. I mean, if you listen to Seattle rock radio, was if people don't know, we're broadcasting from Seattle, Washington. We both live in in the uh, general area of uh, Central Washington. Um, if if you listen to like the local rock station, you would swear it's first thing you would swear it's nineteen ninety four because <laughs> they're playing the, the same damn grunge bands they've been playing since nineteen ninety four. But all the new shit, the, like the new rock stuff they play, which is not much. Again, it's all stuff from the '90s and the and the early 2000s. Um, it's barely recognizable as rock. It's really weird. Mm. So, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Again, I haven't been. Again, I don't really pay attention to mainstream rock. I don't care. Um, we're a metal podcast. I listen to metal primarily, so that's what I'm talking about. And I've never got my music off the radio since as long as I've been cognizant that there was something more than music on the radio, I've always looked to other mediums to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the nineties, like magazines or, you know, other people who, who wore cool looking band shirts or whatever. Um, now you have like metal archives and all these, res- these resources to find it. But um, yeah, I just, I don't understand why new bands don't get the love that the old ones do because when you go to, you know, any of these shows, these dinosaurs bands come through and like get off their oxygen masks and out of their wheelchairs long enough to like hobble through a set. There's tons of people there. Tons of people that I never see. And I'm not going to use the word local gigs because this is not local gigs. There are bands that come through and tour. Bands that get in a van, take time off work and do it the hard way, the old school way of getting in a, a stinky van with your stinky bandmates and just hoping you find a place to crash after the show that night that you don't have to pay for. Um, 
and hoping the promoter kicks you a couple bones and people buy your merch. Like, why these bands who come to town to play don't get the same love. And a lot of them have been doing it for a long ass time. You know, I'm not talking about bands that started last year. I'm talking about bands that started like in 2010, 11, maybe earlier. And they just don't get that same love. And you metalheads, you motherfuckers, you're out there. You're just not paying attention. Yeah, I mean, it takes a little bit of being proactive to do it. I think that some of it is people, you know, people found out about Iron Maiden and Judas Priest from the radio back in the day. And then they figured, all right, I'll just keep listening to the radio. And that's where music comes from. Whereas, you know, people who go to the trouble of digging around online or reading magazines or really going to local shows and talking to people, you know, if you're somebody who's going to track down keepers of the flame, the classic metal podcast and listen to us rambling on for an hour and a half, then, then you're doing some kind of work to like, have your own relationship with the kind of music you like and try to discover more for yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people, uh, that's, that's really not, <laughs> that's too much effort. And, and, you know, like, I don't know, this Dio album we were just talking about, it was on Warner brothers, yeah. you know? So it's, it's on a massive label. And uh, it was getting all the like men in suits trying to like get, more from their investment by selling more of this album i think to and, a point i think so um i don't know how much deal is on the radio by that point um i, I, I don't I'm know not too, totally certain i know that I, when i was a kid in the early 90s and whatnot there was no metal on the radio i mean even like before grunge hit there was no metal on the radio um they, they, they got signed because there was you know a market for it and you know, now we got one thing I'm hopeful for, um, for new bands is, you know, the fact that music consumption trends have changed. I mean, God, the two thousands was just death for bands who are trying to like sell anything. Like mm-hmm. you could only sell t-shirts in the two thousands. No one was buying anything. No one bought CDs. So everybody downloaded everything. Um, now no one downloads anything anymore. Um, Everybody streams it, which is, I mean, I have my own opinions about that, but our wonderful companies that stream our podcasts are wonderful. So I'm not going to say <laughs> anything bad about them right now. Um, but, uh, you know, like records and tapes are a big thing again. And that means that there are record labels popping up because guess what? Record labels can sign bands and make physical product and make their money. Mm-hmm. Now, like having a small record, it's not going to make you a, a record label for heavy metal. It's probably not going to make you a millionaire but you might be able to make a living at it. You know, mm-hmm. like there is definitely like now a way for um, bands to get somebody to help them make records. And that's really important. And people got to realize that now, like these labels have popped up and I'll name drop a couple of them. Like our label fighter records is like amazing. You know um, they put out some really cool, a lot of really cool music. They really helped us out. They helped us get on the map. Um, Cruz del Sur is another one. Um, Gates of Hell Records. Um, they're, they've just put out a lot of really cool albums. Um, Shadow Kingdom. There's just tons of uh, No Remorse. Um, mm-hmm. There's tons of these record companies that are popping up and they're putting out, they're helping these bands put their albums out, make physical copies and get them in the hands of fans. And it's starting to really build. For the first time, you know, in a long time, I actually have some hope for I think that, yeah I think there's a lot of reason for optimism and and I think the thing that's interesting with this style of metal is that it's kind of proved it survives like it, it was not 
it may have been commercial for a hot second, but it was the, the commercial and the nature of it was never the, at the foundation of it, obviously, because it's, it's no. gone on and survived, uh, as the, the market has kind of gone up and down. Not everything does hair metal didn't, um, oh. and new metal didn't, no. you know, because those were kind of clearly the, the roots didn't go as deep for those genres. Yeah. And the hair metal had a long time in the sun, dude. Like, and that's going to make people got to realize when they talk about metal on the radio in the eighties, that's what was on the radio. You know, like Motley Crue's first record was what, 83, mm-hmm. you know? So the bands that were on the radio were like Motley Crue and Poison and, you know, a lot of Skid Row and Dawkin. And um, I, I love those bands, but those are the bands that are on the radio. It wasn't Maiden or any of the thrash bands or mm-hmm. like Halloween or Gamma Ray or, you know, any of those, any bands like that. Not in North America. Maybe Europe was different. I don't know. I never went to Europe before like a couple of years ago. Um, or before my 20s anyway, I never went to Europe. So, you know, those are the bands that are on the radio. It's not like all these classic metal bands and power metal bands that we love had tons and tons of radio support. Just wasn't the case. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, hair metal, God, hair metal started in like 83 and it didn't fuck off till the 90s. You know, and even then they were trying. It was, it's really funny to watch the later hair metal videos where they're like kind of <laughs> trying to not be so goofy you know yeah. they're like all wearing like they're all kind of like wearing black and like you know really like a little everything's stripped down and they're all playing in like some fucking like warehouse or loft and it's wet inside for some reason you know or it's like raining <laughs> inside just so like the water can like fly off the drums and the cymbal and there's like <laughs> some chick like i don't know you don't really like know what she's you don't really like know what she's doing she's just like kind of forlorn for some reason and i don't know it's just like those formulaic videos from like the early 90s i i love them they're so funny i think um have you seen the the video for wild one the dio song from lock up the wolves yeah that's that's magic so funny that like they're like all right well it's got the usual like kind of medieval looking dio outfit but it's gonna be made of denim because it's 1999, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. We don't want to be, it's the 90s. We wouldn't want to be goofy or anything. Yeah, and there's all the, like, you know, kids, like, riding on their skateboards. And you can almost tell it's like, yeah, skateboards are cool, right? Yeah, Bar- Bart Simpson came out. So, like, you know, we got to have, like, kids riding skateboards. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's funny. But I guess, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm all my, if I was to write a top 10 album list, you know, probably most of those albums would be from the 70s or 80s. Not going to lie. Um, but I also am in tune with what the hell people are doing today, you know, and one of the reasons for this podcast was for us to get further in tune with, um, with that. So that's, I think and also to, to do our bit kind of for our colleagues who are out yeah. there working hard and making their own music. And then yeah, and exactly. And, you know, like, like you said, like, like you heard earlier, we, you know, we weren't, we're not, we're not, we're not here to do an advertisement, you know, we'll tell our honest opinion. Um, but yeah, it's to it's to you know let everybody know that this music is still here. And I mean, yeah, like we might talk about some on our picks of the week, we might talk about some like '80s records. But I think for them, like for our deep dives, I mean, we're gonna be amazing. sticking with stuff that's recent, you know, new really new-ish releases. Let's let, let let's say um, mm-hmm. uh, there might there might be exceptions to it, but and I, I think because it's important, it's important that people understand that there's still bands that are really doing it well. And, um, you know, like the, like Gatekeeper we mentioned today, if you haven't, if you love 
like Manila Road and that kind of music, and you haven't heard the last two Gatekeeper records, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you need to like you get off your ass and, and listen to them. You know, if you love power metal and you haven't heard like the new you know, Adventus, like get it, get it, like check these bands out because they're they're still doing it and it's like really well executed. There's a lot of talent in this scene today, like lots of shredding guitar players. There's a lot of really good singers starting to crop up that sing all kinds of different styles. Like there's there really a lot is. of talented bands that we're that we're seeing. I mean, and there's, there's a different. Of, there's some different kinds of like representation going on too, which is like a it's just cool to see and it's very different from the 80s like just all the there's a bunch of really cool women in heavy metal now a bunch yeah. of really great uh you know lady metal singers <laughs> who kick a lot of ass and, and who don't and drummers and guitarists too man like... yeah exactly um and that would have you know that I, they'd still deal with some bullshit but like less than they would have in the 80s which is great i hope so i <laughs> but fucking hope so um, i think some of how people experience this too is like I mean, there's different fans of different ages because there's certainly a, a contingent of the people who are going to, you know, be at the Judas Priest show at the Tacoma Dome or whatever, who are people who were young in the 80s. And it really is literally about nostalgia for them and, and going cool. back to a time in their lives where they were like, I don't know, I assume doing coke and having sex on a hood of a Porsche or something. I don't know. That's what the eighties were like. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but uh it, yeah, it does seem odd, you know, if you're if you're a younger metalhead, if you're like in your twenties now and you're not paying attention to like the music your peers are making, why? You know. Nice. And I I, 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 Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I've, I do find it kind of heartening. It's cool to see you go out to like one of these old school type metal shows like the ones we play. And, and there are like young kids out there who are, you know, clearly they were never alive for the eighties. They just really like the experience of being at a show like this, yep. singing along with the music, watching the guitar players do their thing, watching the, the, the band members, you know, turn it up to 11. And that's really great to see. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like ranting and harping on negatives uh, here um, because that's kind of was the first part of my thought of the topic, but there are a lot of positives for sure. I mean, I mean, I, I can't speak for all bands, but like our show attendance before COVID took a dump on everything was pretty damn good. You know, I, I, I didn't have an issue with any of our turnouts, really. Um, yep. Even in movie played in like tiny ass towns like Kelso, Washington, people come out. Um, you know, I, and, I, and I get it. Like all the, 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 the boomer guys, like they didn't really, you know, they listened to metal when they were young and Iron Maiden was there and then they stopped and like, you know, how to say this nicely, like clip their balls and like, <laughs> just <laughs> like, um, you know, just traded it for the best, like, retired their ears and traded their maiden records for the best of staying and bought a station wagon and decided that just because they were dad, they had to be lame, you know, which you don't have to do that, by the way, you can have kids and be cool. You know, you can still, you can't probably can't do all the cocaine, but you can still do all the other fun <laughs> shit you were doing. Um, you know, your lady probably still wants you to bang her on the hood of the IROC. <laughs> like, just because you have a kid doesn't mean, mean doesn't mean she probably still wants she probably still wants that just say um but uh i'm talking more for like even people my age i'm 40 years old um and like i said i definitely have heard the best music i'm ever going to hear already that's and i've resigned myself to that fact um but i still hear stuff all the time that that moves me i still hear stuff from even stuff sometimes it's from older bands you know like Testament's a great example of a thrash band that is getting better 
as they mm-hmm. get older. Like their new their new albums, and anybody can try to fight me on this, and that's fine. If you like the old records better, that's fine. But the playing and the writing and the musicianship and the originality on the newer Testament records is objectively light years better than their old shit. Like, I would agree. The, the, the stuff from for, when they reformed, when they got Formation of Damnation onwards. I mean, even like The Gathering is my favorite Testament record. I think The Gathering mm-hmm. is just incredible. And I think that was from like 98 or 99. I don't recall offhand. Um, but that was incredible. And like their last five have been awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes that, or there's always like new bands that I hear about or, you know, either through people posting about it on social media or from a website or, uh, you know, from seeing them live um that, that that moved me and i think the point of this is not so much to I'm, i don't want it to sound like we're, i'm trying to call people out or we're trying to call people out it's mainly like a call to arms and it's saying like hey like listen there's a lot of good stuff up there so get your curiosity in gear and take a chance like we got all the, you don't even have to like buy a record anymore and not know if you're gonna like it like there's itunes there's spotify there's youtube there's always oh, it's so easy to go listen yeah. to a million different things. <laughs> you can, it's, it's never been easier to consume music. So if you're not trying to consume new music, then you're not really a music fan, I don't think, at this point. Like, I, or or at, the, at the very least, you're kind of a lazy one. You know, cause yeah, like, I would agree. Because I get it. Before, you have to go out and buy the record and you take a chance on it. And it's a lot of money. And that, or you have to try to hear it in the record store or something, or your friend's out. Maybe your friend bought it and you want to listen to it there. But now you can just, you can hear it anywhere. It's a click of a fingertip. Yeah. Well, and just in general, it's just not healthy to live in the past. The past is gone. And Correct. the people who came before, they, they left us these wonderful gifts like heaven and hell and seventh son of a seventh son and all these, you know, great you know, artifacts from the past, these works of art that now we get to enjoy and appreciate and be inspired by. And that's great. But, you know, the, the, the past is gone and, and too much dwelling on it in any way is never healthy. Um, I actually looked up the, the origin of the word nostalgia. Okay. Um, so the suffix alga means pain. Like, uh, so if you think of like, I don't know, fibromyalgia or something like that. Um, nust is like, home kind of so it's it's a it's the pain of homesickness and it was actually founded by this guy um or the 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 word was coined by this physician named johannes hofer uh in the 1690s i think or around 1700 he was a swiss physician and he was treating these swiss mercenaries who were going off to war and were like getting too homesick to fight in the war and that's what nostalgia originally was It's, um, it's not a good thing at all. Yeah, no, no, no. And uh, it also reminded me of um, when I was in grad school in Colorado, there was a regular at one of the coffee shops I went to who um, was, a, am guessing, a trans person of some sort. I don't know their, their story or their gender. I didn't, didn't talk with them. But they were, uh, I don't know, probably in their 50s or something. But this uh, is really like sort of just flamboyant looking person, broad shoulders, but like fabulous makeup and big hair and everything. Always rode around on this big tricycle bike, you know, one of those really big three-wheeled motorcycle things. And always wore the same t-shirt, which was a white t-shirt with red letters on it that said, 
nostalgia is a fungus that grows on baby boomers. <laughs> oh my God. I love it, man. I love it. And I think that kind of like sums up what we're saying perfectly. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, I mean, yeah, these old records are amazing and they should be worshipped and they should be revered, but not the, the expense of new, fresh, exciting art. Yeah. You know? Well, as, as music fans and as music supporters and music consumers, it's our job to keep going back to the well and finding new stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not that we owe it to, and, you know, this isn't like, we're, we're not going, hey, go support your local bands. I'm, you know, I, 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 just, I think that term... I don't, I don't like the term support. I never have. Um, I never, I, cause it makes it seem like a chore. It makes it seem like you're doing something cause you almost have to, or like you feel sorry for the people who are doing it. Um, so I've never heard like the terms like, so, Hey, support the band. It's like, you support the band. You're, you're just supposed to like them. You know, you're supposed <laughs> to like the music. Like if you like the music, go to the show. You want to buy the t-shirt cause you think it's a cool t-shirt, buy the shirt, you know? Um, People don't need your support. They need your ears. They mm -hmm. need your, um, they need your curiosity. And um, they just need you there, you know? And if you, if, if you open your mind, open your ears and, you know, and, and listen to what these, these artists are saying, you can make up your own mind whether you like it or not. But I think if you, do, if you venture out into the world of whatever genre of music that you listen to or you like, um, nowadays with modern technology when people can make a new rec a, make new records easily with new record labels popping up i think you'll find something that you like you know and i think in a lot of cases you'll find a lot of things that you like because for me um the heavy metal scene is really going through a big resurgence right now and um you know we've had a lot of these the, the new wave of traditional heavy metal has been a thing for a while um a long time now and People keep saying, oh, it's a trend that's going to go away. I'm like, well, when? <laughs> you know? And first of all, like, people have been doing traditional metal long before that term was invented, and they're going to keep doing it long after, you know? And I, I, I just think that the people who say, oh, it's a trend that's going to go away are completely full of shit, and they're just wrong. I mean, even if people stop saying that term, it doesn't mean that bands who play that style of music are going to leave, because we're in one of them, and we're not, you know? Yep. And I think that out of that, you know, there certainly are a lot of bands that you can plug into that and say, they just kind of ape stuff from the eighties and that's what they are. They're nostalgia bands, they're new wave of traditional heavy metal bands, like whatever box you want to put it in. Um, but I think there are a lot of bands within that umbrella that do stuff that goes beyond that. And as they progress are going to continue to do stuff that goes beyond that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of great music that comes out of that put whatever label on it you want i don't care but i just think in the end there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff to listen to i mean just this last year and there's a pandemic on i heard so many great records this year you know a lot i heard a lot of records that i are going to stick with me i bought a lot of vinyl and i wasn't buying it because i'm like oh, i gotta support the bands in a pandemic i'm not gonna buy a shitty album and spend my money on it during the pandemic you know <laughs> i bought these records because i thought they were awesome you know and, I, and that's what I'm saying. That's the difference between support. And then when, you, when people say, oh, you got to support the band. It's like, yeah, you don't. You don't have to support the band. You got to listen to the band. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of, I mean, people are very motivated by obligation and guilt 
unfortunately. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that with like, I don't know, religion and, and capitalism. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of reasons why people have to, they feel that they have to push themselves to do things rather than just doing what they enjoy. But to me, you know, part of the spirit of heavy metal has always been like, do what you enjoy, do what gets you stoked. So let, let's don't apologize. Way. Support supporting the band is what, you know, you know, you're, if, if, if you're in a band and, you know, your buddies that don't listen to metal come out, you know, just cause like they want to see, see it once and then they buy a shirt and a CD that's supporting the band. You know, that's like, my friend does this thing. I don't like it. But I'm going to support that support. Um, if you're a metal fan. You don't need to support Dude, Go out and l- l- listen to the band, pay attention to what they're doing and either get into it or don't make up your own mind. But I think like if you, if people open their eyes a little bit more and, you know, just maybe listen to, listen to something after you listen to killers and after you listen to sad wings of destiny and after you listen to mob rules, Rather than listening to all three of those albums again, try taking a chance on something new because I think you'll find it more satisfying. Even if you don't like it, what you hear, eh, you know, at least you took a chance and you got something to make fun of later, I guess. But, you know, I think if you, if you keep trying that eventually, you know, I think you'll find a lot of good stuff you like and you won't have to work very hard. Well, I think it's interesting that on like, the new wave of traditional heavy metal YouTube channel. You know, every time I go and listen to an album on there, which I do pretty often to check out what's going on in the scene, you know, I start looking through the comments and there's always at least one person who's like, Oh wow. I had no idea music this good was still being made. Yeah. Like every album that gets posted on there, it's like somebody has discovered that for the first time. Yeah. Which is crazy. And I, and I guess, cause you know, for me, it's for me, I guess it's crazy because you know, I have just been paying attention for a long time. And I know that there's been a lot of bands doing this for a long time. And there, sure, there definitely was a time. I mean, I was talking with, uh, um, who was I talking to this about? I think it was Cam from Spell. Um, we were talking about, you know, how there was a um, time where there was like almost, I mean, when we were coming up and, you know, I was playing in a, I guess we were a thrash band, but we were pretty melodic. Like we, we added a lot of elements of classic metal and, and, and power metal into our music. And uh, he was playing in a band that was very much a power metal band. And we were just talking about how there just wasn't a lot of traditional bands around. But I think that was probably kind of just our scene. Like in Vancouver in the early 2000s, it was all black metal and grindcore and death metal and there and like comedy bands there's a lot of fucking comedy bands um but there wasn't a lot and then like a bunch of us came out and there was we were like you were like oh these guys are doing guitar solos what the fuck you know but i think that i i know for a fact because i i I was you know my ears were very open and i've always been a big fan even be i'm a i'm a heavy metal fan before i'm a musician like that's they, they go in that order um i've always had my ears out and I've always been curious and trying to find new bands that I like. And I know for a fact there was lots of bands, both stateside and Europe at that point in time, that were, that were you know, keeping the flame alive, <laughs> as we say. So. Yeah, well, uh, as I say, I would, I think there may be a kind of phenomenon taking place right now where the genre of traditional heavy metal is kind of transitioning from an edgy 
pop genre into a traditional music form. And I think that's kind of an interesting process to be watching. And I think if it's done well, and if, uh, if people stay interested um, and keep kind of keeping the flame and passing on uh, different techniques and methods and keep listening to cool traditional metal, that it really could be something that lasts for a very long time. It could become a kind of folk music that like, you know, people around the world are playing variations on heavy metal for hundreds and hundreds of years. I would really like to think that's a possibility. I, I think it is because the main thing, even though we're few in numbers, um, the, the, the heavy metal fans are super passionate. I mean, for better or for worse, we are. Um, we're kind of the only, you don't see, um, you know, fans of jazz music or fans of like a lot of band, like who just who dress a certain way, who, you know, kind of wear their hearts on their sleeve all the time. Like mm -hmm. heavy metal people do. Like we kind of just always, a lot of the time, you know, we, we kind of like, like you or me walk down the street and generally people know right away, those guys listen to metal. You know? <laughs> right, right. It's not, there's not much guesswork involved. Um, so, I mean, they're very passionate. So I think like that that's a very distinct possibility that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years from now that people will be looking back at all these bands and, you know, maybe it'll, it, maybe it'll be studied as like a, a, a course in like uh, fine art schools, you know, a couple sure. of hundred years from now, which would be awesome. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, as long as it stays alive, you know, which, and, and I say that as, as a, someone who's spent a lot of time doing classical music, which is alive, but always kind of struggling to like get out from under the weight of everything that happened in the past. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of like relates back to our topic. That's what we're talking mm -hmm. about. You know, the past is important. The past is great. The seventies and eighties and nineties were glorious times for heavy music, but it has not stopped. And no, I mean, this is, this is still a glorious time. And I think anybody who's yeah, been to some of these shows, some of these bands we've talked about, and certainly anyone who's played in the bands, like, yeah, I mean, it's very much alive. And, and it's possible to have these transcendent, you know, powerful experiences with heavy metal, you know, down the street at your local, you know, rock bar tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, if, apart from the pandemic thing, of course. But Yeah, I mean, now you can't do it unless you want to go see Texas Hippie Coalition on New Year's <laughs> Eve and like, in like, you know, butt fuck Texas and catch COVID and 16 other diseases in that awful cesspool. But, you know, that's an option. You can do that if you want. I don't recommend it. But yeah, when, when, when there isn't a global pandemic on and things are going, are, are rolling pretty hard, you know. I mean, even people like, a lot of coworkers of mine have come to see us play, you know, because like, oh, I wanna, I, the people that support, those are the supporters. There's a difference between like, fans and metalheads and supporters is that you came out and they all they, they always i did not expect to have that much fun yeah and well that's the nice thing about the traditional style is it 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 kind of is a little bit more approachable and has a little bit more bridges into other styles in a way that maybe like i don't know you know technical death metal mm -hmm. or or it it, you know it takes an interesting skill set to play it too i yeah. mean it definitely takes like a sense of melody and it definitely it takes skill to play any kind of music so i'm not saying that it's harder to play traditional metal than like tech death or something um but it takes a much more known to most people's ears set skill set to play that music 
a sense of melody, a sense of groove, a sense of like hooks and what sounds catchy to people. It's kind of based more in um, making um, melodies and, and sounds that people can remember and relate to rather than making sounds that people either go, whoa, you know, it's like, it's, it's based in, like it's, it's more traditional and things that people are more familiar with. So what, one thing that I really like about it is that it's a great vehicle for personality. It's and and certainly for singers, it's a great it's it's one of the best ways to like really get to perform in a larger than life way and really let your your artistic personality have a big impact on the audience. Uh, but, it, you know, even just for guitar players, for drummers, for bass players, like it's there's a lot of opportunities both to like hold down a groove, but also be flashy and to bring your own unique personality to it not that that's not true with other kinds of metal because it is of course but it's it's just it's got a there's a particular kind of uh larger than life uh performative aspect of the traditional heavy metal which is what i find so appealing about it i, w I would agree with that and and, and it's, it's true of any kind of like offshoot of it like power metal or anything where you can just yeah you definitely it you're definitely kind of like you're, you're yourself, but you definitely bring out other aspects of your personality and you kind of get to crank it all the way up to 10 or 11. Um, and just like be the loudest fucking version of yourself that you have. So yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. So, but I mean, I guess it's, we're kind of coming to the end of the, the podcast here. It's been a, been a minute. And um, I don't know. I just like to wrap it up by saying with this topic, you know, Hey, I, we're not saying that, the old albums aren't the best music that's ever been written. You know, it probably to my years they are, but that doesn't mean that there isn't other good art out there. So expand your mind, expand your ears, go out and listen to some new records. Cause I think you're going to have a good time doing it and be pleasantly surprised. Yep. Make sure you've got one hand for the past and one hand for the future. Well said, my friend. Well said. So, well, that's about wraps it up for this week in keepers of the flame, a classic metal podcast. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, recording a new episode. I believe we are going to talk about the forthcoming Accept album um, called Too Mean to Die or something like that. So hmm. <laughs> I'm interested as to what that's going to be like. Yep, We'll see if they really are too mean to die. Yeah. And uh, we will likely, um, this is not confirmed yet, but um, quite likely we will have our first guest on next week's podcast. So if it all works out, we will have um, somebody that many of you probably know um, from the uh, heavy metal scene uh, worldwide, uh, joining us for the whole show and uh, deep diving into the new Accept album and uh, bringing a pick of the week and, you know, diving into whatever topic we choose for next week, which we don't know yet. So anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate your ears. Uh, keep the feedback coming. Um, let us know what you want to hear uh, and we'll do our best to accommodate. Uh, but we really appreciate you taking your time to listen to our podcast. Um, happy Sunday. Um, good luck with good luck when the week starts tomorrow and we'll see you next week. All right. Hell yeah. Stay well. When darkness falls.